Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a new podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We'll be talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better, for the worse, or still to be determined as we move out of shutdown. If you like what you hear, please consider making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. This pandemic has drawn attention to what it means to age in place. Seniors were the hardest hit population this past year, with the vast majority of COVID-19 deaths happening to those over the age of 65. But 2021 began with a shot in the arm, as seniors were the first to get COVID vaccinations and prepare for life in the post-pandemic era. Still, even as we're now seeing light at the end of the tunnel, the big issues of aging and senior care in California aren't easing up. The new U.S. Census data shows that California keeps getting older, and by the year 2030, nearly a quarter of our population will be over the age of 65. That affects nearly everything in this state. Housing, pensions, jobs, and of course, healthcare. That's why California has created a new master plan of aging to address the issue of aging in the Golden State, and how we're all going to handle it, no matter how old we are. Join us as we talk with Kim McCoy-Wade, Director of California's Department of Aging. She's in charge of rolling out this master plan of aging and preparing America's most populous state for massive demographic change over the next decade. She'll tell us what the goals are, how the state plans to meet them, how the public sector and private sector need to get involved, and what you need to know as a California resident who's getting older by the day. Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm Executive Director of California Groundbreakers and thank you for tuning in today. So when the pandemic hit the US last year, the first media attention most of us saw about that was focused on the Life Care Center in Kirkland, Washington. That nursing home was the epicenter of US COVID-19 cases at the beginning of the pandemic, and it resulted in a total of 46 deaths among residents, staff, and visitors. And that's when probably most of us realized how dangerous the coronavirus would be for our grandparents, our parents, and ourselves, especially if we were over a certain age and had some underlying health conditions. So then came a year plus of shutdowns, of nursing home residents being kept in their rooms with no visitors, of us staying away from parents and grandparents and not giving them hugs, and a total of 60,750 recorded deaths in California as of April 30th, 75% of those being over age 65. Now we're starting to move into a post-pandemic future where we can get fully vaccinated and hug our mothers and grandmothers, start socializing with our elders, and give thanks that we're alive and living. But the past year of shutdowns and how it especially affected senior citizens got me thinking about the topic of aging and what the future of aging will be like in California. After all, we are an aging state where baby boomers have become the state's fastest growing age group. And by the year 2030, and remember that that's a very important year, more than a quarter of our population will be over age 65. Compare that to Utah, which is a pretty young state. Only 8.5% of residents there right now are seniors over age 65. 
But all of us are aging now. As I speak, we're all heading towards that 50-year-old milestone, that 60-year mark, the 75-year mark. And some of us will even hit triple digits. So I think that when it comes to the topic of aging and how we're going to be facing it socially, financially, and health-wise, none of us are too young to tune in and listen. So speaking again of that year, 2030, when a quarter of us will be senior citizens, that's the year that the state of California is focusing on in its master plan for aging. It came out earlier this year and it outlines five bold goals and 23 strategies to build a California for all ages by 2030. The priority will be on the health and well-being of older Californians and the need for policies that promote healthy aging. So this master plan is essentially a blueprint for state government, local government, the private sector and philanthropy to prepare the state for the coming demographic changes and continue California's leadership in aging, disability, and equity. So joining me here today to talk about the master plan for aging is the person in charge of putting it together, rolling it out, and making sure it works. That is Kim McCoy-Wade, and she is director of the California Department of Aging. So Kim, thanks for joining me today and talking about aging and what we need to know. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So I, I've, I rolled out a few uh, statistics, numbers, demographics, but I wanted to know what they mean for, for people of all ages. What What is the importance of knowing uh, how California is aging and how and why that will affect us all no matter what age we are? Thank you so much for that introduction, that framing, because you're absolutely right. We're not here to talk about uh, the future or older people, we're here to talk about right now and what this means. And I would say there's three things happening that are really the game changers for all of us. One, we're living longer. So are we all ready for our 60s, our 70s, our 80s, our 90s, and as you said, living to 100? Are you ready for your family to do that? Are you ready for your workplace, for your community, for your house of worship? Everything is different when you've got 60, 70, 80, 90. So the good news is we have these bonus years. Uh, the other second thing that's so interesting is that our population and our families are shifting so that there will be more older people than young people by 2030. For the first time ever, more people over 65 than over 18. What does that mean for who uses the park down the street? What does that mean for who uses the library? What does that mean for whether you need childcare or adult care or both in your family? So that kind of shift is really an interesting chance to think about what it means to create communities that work for both eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds. Uh, and then the third piece is that as you would imagine with a quarter of the population, there's such diversity in aging. I already talked about the difference between being 60 and 100. Those are very different ages, but also the racial diversity is increasing in our older population. Currently, older adults are majority white, the last population in California to be that way. But we're increasingly we're having different cultures uh, uh, make up larger segments of the aging population with rich traditions around aging, different traditions around aging. Uh, and so, for example, you'll see in California, we have both some of the highest number of older adults living alone. We have LGBT folks who may never got married. You have folks who are widowed. But we also have some of the highest percentage of folks living in multi-generation. And I don't just mean three generations. It could be four, could be five generations under one roof. So those are very different experiences of aging. How do we help everybody have the aging of their choice for themselves and their loved ones? That's the question before us. And I'm also thinking about something that has been around for a while about Social Security and paying into it, right? And, and I guess pensions and uh, I guess the, the shift in aging uh, impacts the amount of money that there is being put into pensions and Social Security, which I guess economically that could be a big impact. Yeah, one of the biggest things facing all of us is how we afford these bonus years, how we afford aging. And really, um, I want to just share a term that we heard from our researchers from UC Berkeley and UCLA that for too many, aging is a time of 
downward mobility. You spend the first part of your life in upward mobility, ideally, uh, and then there's downward mobility because of the pressures of healthcare costs and housing costs. And as you said, Social Security was never meant to be the only piece of what uh, supported our retirement. We, uh, in, the, in, the, in the theory, we had pensions supporting us and we had our private savings supporting us, but fewer and fewer families have either access to pensions or any savings given all the, the cost of living. So you're hitting these years, bonus years with just that fixed social security and it can't keep up with housing and health. And with the pandemic, uh, these past 12 months, 13 months plus, it feels like that has ripped the curtains away and shown a bright light on some of the serious issues about senior care and aging. I think we've seen so many images and visuals in the media about senior citizens in nursing homes just alone, isolated. Um, a lot of just, it, it hit me hard. I, my parents are not in nursing homes, but it just made me think about how the pandemic has really made me think about aging for me, my family. What, what do you think the pandemic has really shown a spotlight on when it comes to uh, aging issues and senior care in California? Yes, uh, I couldn't agree more that while maybe we didn't uh, know things we didn't already know, but boy, the spotlight, the intensity, the urgency of addressing these issues. So I would say first and foremost is how people live in the home that they choose to live in, whether they're 60, 70, 80, or 90, and how that works. How does that work? And so many people, it works because they're relying on a family caregiver. And the strain and the, it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful joy. It's also a lot of work. And how do we support family caregivers, whether it's a spouse, an adult child, a grandchild who's providing that care? Uh, what about older adults who stay at home who live alone? Are they connected to the internet? Do they know how to use the internet? Is there a device that will help them order that food, have that doctor's appointment, attend their, their worship service? Uh, we saw a lot of the digital divide problems, a lot of the home care problems. Uh, so it, we're just now beginning to see as people, you know, thank God are vaccinated and come out, What's the impact been of that year of isolation on the mental health, on the physical health, on loneliness? You know, we started a California friendship line. So people had somewhere to call 24-7, a friendly ear, always ready to talk. And we're going to keep that going. We're so lucky that a service like that existed in the Bay Area that we could scale up statewide uh, and have that service. But we're very concerned about being at home should not lead to isolation in any sense. Yes, we had to physically isolate from COVID, but it shouldn't have been a social isolation. So how do we help people live at home, but not isolate and not have their health decline, I think became, and not overburden family members who have other jobs, other responsibilities. How do we make family living at home something that actually is sustainable for everybody became really the hottest issue. But you've touched on so many. Of course, some people, you know, very small percentage, but some people will be in nursing homes and how the quality of care, the quality of life can be improved uh, is really a top of mind for policymakers in all states at the national level. The inequities we saw in the death rates among black elders, Latino elders, some Pacific Island elders. I mean, aging in some ways is the ultimate referendum on discrimination and inequity. Uh, how long you live, how much money you have, what kind of healthcare, what kind of conditions you bring to old age. Uh, and so the, just the tragic, tragic losses of huge percentages of Black and Latino elders and API in some communities. We're, we're going to be living with that for a long time. So what can we do to remedy that uh, at 50 plus, right? Uh, we don't have to have the first 50 years of your life to determine the next 50 years of your life. Uh, and then lastly, I'll just say, I have to say it, ageism. You know, I mean, even in 
um, some of the well-meaning concern for older adults, we see stereotypes. Uh, and I just have to say, you know, while the older adults were the first to stay home and, and, and as well as other people with high risk medical, the resiliency you see in older adults. Uh, I love the stories from people who, you know, unfortunately, this is their second pandemic. They've lived through uh, the Spanish flu 100 years ago, and they have resiliency from that. They lived through the HIV uh, uh, catastrophe, and they have resiliency and lessons from that. So how do we take our stereotypes about ageism and really uh, actually tap into the resilience of our older our elders and uh, bring that into our families and communities is really a challenge that is even clearer to me now. So I wanted to now go through the plan and look at the five bold, bold goals that you have and ask you for if you have specific things that you're working on, um, maybe some short, medium, long-term goals like moonshots that you think that you could turn into uh, concrete uh, solutions, because this is California and innovation is our middle name. Uh, so I wanted to start with goal, goal number one um, about housing. It's always about housing in California, but one of the goals is to have millions of new housing options to age well in. And I did want to ask about that in a state where it's, it were infamous, I guess, in that way for being it's being a hard place to create adequate amount of housing for any age, I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of getting millions of uh, housing options uh, to age well, how that will get done. How do you see it getting done? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I mean, again, the administration has, uh, the good news is, is that housing and homelessness is the top priority of the administration, of the legislature, of the public. Everybody's aligned. That You'll see this in the budget. You see it in the bills. You see it. So what we're just saying in the master plan is be sure you have that age lens on there as well. So you're thinking about this is actually an issue for a quarter of the population. You know, there tends to be a stereotype in older adults in housing that we either have people in their big single family home that they bought 40 years ago with a Prop 13 tax break, or we have people in nursing homes and there's nothing in between. Well, actually there's a whole lot in between and there needs to be a whole lot more in between. So one of the things we're excited about is suggestions, uh, recommendations and policy and funding to make accessory dwelling units easier to build, ADUs. San Diego County pioneered this and said, let's make it easier to build in-laws, which are great, not just for your in-laws, <laughs> but also if you are the older adult in the house, building that can be a way you can generate income our younger relative can live there, a caregiver could live there who could otherwise afford to live in your community. Uh, we see, or you can move into it, build it fully accessible, one story, you move in there and let someone else uh, be in the front house. So we, or you have a friend to come in and you have that community built in right there. So we see ADUs as really a win-win-win for affordability, for communities, for, um, for equity, uh, and for aging in some new and different ways. We also think there's some exciting proposals building off of the Project Room Key and Project Home Key pandemic response where vacant hotels were purchased to immediately address homelessness. For, and again, the rise of homelessness among people over 50 for the first time uh, to see the budget proposals coming out to purchase vacant retirement homes and use those as a place to provide housing with supports for older adults or people with disabilities who need more than just a roof, who need some of that services to help them thrive. Uh, so we're very excited about the kind of energy around we have to address this and we have to think of some new ways to address it and do so in an intergenerational focus, right? The old framing is kind of senior housing. And while there will always be a place for senior housing, we increasingly want to hear about intergenerational housing and how do people live um, with all different ages uh, so that that too is part of staying integrated in the community and not kind of being walled off. 
So talking about current housing for seniors, a, a lot of that right now is, is nursing homes and uh, senior homes, um, but there's been a lot of attention on what happens in those homes, even before the pandemic. I just recently read a story in uh, on the website Cal Matters by reporter Barbara Federer-Ostrov about uh, just a, a really sad state about nursing homes that get licensed by the state, but still they, they just have a lot of problems. And it was just really shocking to me. And I was wondering in terms of, you know, innovating care in senior homes or just taking more charge and making sure they're being run well, is that something that your department uh, can do and will be able to do more of with the master plan? Absolutely. So, you know, in my department, we run a very important program called the Long-Term Care Ombuds, which is really a, a place for residents to call for help or their family to call for help, get information and, and ex express uh, and, and help advocating for their rights. But I think, and that's very important, that remains very important, the thousands of people we help each year. But I think we're really trying to look upstream and work together with Department of Public Health, which licensed the nursing homes, Department of Healthcare Service, which often is Medicaid paying the bill for the nursing homes. Um, that's to get too into the weeds, but there's a whole other department that regulates the building of the nursing homes. And why I say all that is because I think there's three threads in particular that have come to light as something we need to do more to look at. Again, these are national issues. These are cross-state. One is the workforce issues. How do we make sure these are good jobs? These are hard jobs to work in a nursing home, and they have been very risky jobs, and they have been among some of the ones with the highest death rates. But sometimes they don't pay much more than working in uh, direct service other positions. And how do we really support these jobs? You know, I was talking to a colleague who works in childcare about, you know, a generation ago, people said, oh, that's babysitting. And we said, no, no, this is actually a skilled profession that needs to be recognized as such and trained and certified and paid as such. And I think that's moments about to come to adult care. You have the president talking about caregiving. We have our secretary, Julie Sue, talking about direct care solutions. So there's a whole lot of opportunity to make these jobs excellent jobs. And it's one of the fastest growing uh, personal care, direct care as we age, and it's one of the fastest growing sectors in our state. So if we don't make those good jobs, we're missing a huge opportunity. Another interesting piece is the money behind them. There's some are for-profit, some are nonprofit. Uh, can we get some more transparency? Because there are so much public funds going into this from the Medicaid, uh, and as well as Medicare to some extent, but much more Medicaid. Can we get more sunshine on these and understand is money going for care? Is money going for administration? Where is the money going so that we make sure? And this is not dissimilar from other private pay, whether it's, again, group homes or prisons. You want to know where the money's going. Is it going for care? And then the third issue, which I'm particularly excited about, is this question around the size of the home. And there's been some really interesting work about uh, the architecture and redesign and moving into what's called the small home model so that you have kind of more of a home-like environment where you could have six rooms around a shared pod, if you will, a shared kitchen, a shared staffing. Uh, and we see nationally that the veterans homes are moving in that direction, that all national uh, veterans nursing homes are moving to a small home. What would it take? We California tried to do a pilot in this area a few years ago and we, we got one. <laughs> and you know, in California, uh, one is not gonna cut it. So we wanna get some fresh eyes back to the table and. How can we partner with the operators who we absolutely need in the field? But what would it take, just like we do earthquake retrofitting, to recognize that big facilities may not be the best for the people who live there and they work there? And so how do we together 
finance and um, effectuate that kind of transition so that we're all living in more home-like environments, wherever that home may be. Yeah, making it as fun as a Golden Girls episode, which I, that that's was, it. that's my that's it. goal for aging and living. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple of other goals that I, I, I'm trying to combine in, 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 in sure. one to ask you. Uh, healthcare as we age and bridging health with home, because it seems like a lot of that is focusing on strategies for innovating healthcare delivery. So I wanted to see how, how, how do you see California innovating uh, healthcare delivery, uh, Medicare, I think it was tied uh, in there, uh, just some, yeah innovations that uh, you want to roll out in those with those two goals sure so i'm going to tell you a quick story and then the, the punchline is we got to figure out how medicaid and medicare can help us do this so the, a classic story uh, an older person comes to the nurse comes to an emergency room and has fallen and broken her wrist what classic medicine does is check your head for a concussion set your wrist and send you home that's what the health system pays for is clinical care emergency care anybody who works with geriatrics or who has a loved one who's fallen knows that is just the beginning we actually want to talk to you and say, huh, what happened? Um, let me look at the medications you're on and see, because most older adults are on many. Did you have, do you have kind of too many or an interaction happening that your medications made you lightheaded? Um, how's your food? How are you getting groceries in your house? Did you eat? Were you, was, it, was that the issue? Um, how's your home? Do you have a tricky stair that maybe we could put a grab rail in? Um, did your family, did your spouse who you live with go away for a few days? And so you didn't have the person there who's always there to help you. Um, how's your cognition? Are you maybe confused? And that's why you fell. Okay. And then once we figure out why you fell, then we do something about that. We address those issues about why you fell so that you don't come back in three months with a broken hip and a long-term stay. So the question is, can we get Medi-Cal and Medicaid to pay for all those things that we just said, Medicaid and Medicare to pay for all those things that we just said are going to prevent the fall. And I'm really excited that um, my colleagues are leading a process called CalAIM, which is exactly that to bring those kinds of supports and services that help you live at home and thrive to bring that to the Medicaid system statewide. We have lots of examples of it all over the state, but having it be available everywhere as part of the normal course of business uh, that you can have meals delivered at home because that's part of being healthy and avoiding hospitalization or nursing home. And then Medicare, it's a federal program, but we think there's opportunities to leverage Medicare to align with those strategies. So the governor's also proposed a new office of Medicare innovation integration to see how we can have the Medicare dollars squeeze out to pay more for that after you leave the doctor's office, after you leave the hospital, but the stuff that helps you prevent going back. <laughs> uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't say, of course, the big gap is nationally. Medicare doesn't pay for these things. Medicare does not pay for these things. And as we age, that's a real big gap in Medicare. And so the president's willingness to look at long-term services and supports or home and community-based services and say, huh, maybe this is central to healthcare and really is essential to helping people have wonderful full lives. And again, reduce that high cost, high touch nursing home care to the folks who, only the folks who need it. Uh, we don't want someone in a nursing home because they can't figure out how to get groceries. We wanna help them get groceries so they can live at home and save that high expense, high quality care for the person who truly has the medical clinical need. So I'm excited by what's happening in both in California and nationally to recognize that true health is beyond the doctor's office and then have the money follow to do that. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. 
Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud. That's at soundcloud.com slash Groundbreakers, Or click on the Donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. And if you have questions to ask about how California will change in post-pandemic times, or you want to suggest a topic to cover, or an expert to interview for an episode of This Changes Everything, email us at info at californiagroundbreakers.org and give us a few details so we can get in touch. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. Speaking of the doctor's office, I think two terms that I have seen uh, in the past 12 months in this in this area is telemedicine and how that uh, could be or is currently a, uh, a booming area and could solve a lot of problems. And also digital literacy training. I feel like uh, all of us have had to get on things like Zoom. My parents had to get on Zoom. But still, there's that digital literacy gap, I think, that might be with uh, a lot of seniors. Are those two things, the telemedicine, digital literacy training that you're addressing in the plan in some way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's no question that the, the telemedicine uh, is here to stay in some way and what that means from a policy perspective and a program perspective. But it is huge for older adults and people with disabilities who may have transportation access to get to an appointment. It also makes it so much easier for family caregivers to maybe conference in and join in that appointment. Uh, any of us who've spent a half, you know, a half a day getting a doctor's appointment or helping someone else know that it can be when it works. It's great. Now, what you just said, you got to have the device, you got to have the broadband connection that's any good, and you got to have the training and the support for it to, to be easy. Uh, and so we have to work on all fronts. The governor does have a broadband for all strategy that directly includes, I love this, it includes both the Department of Education for Children and the Department of Aging for Older Adults, that we're all ages coming on on broadband. And then we do think there's different devices. We're looking at everything from smart speakers can be really great for older adults, uh, for those just talk to the speaker and be connected to your phone call. Um, we're looking at everything for um, robotic pets, for people maybe who have dementia or living in nursing homes as a way to soothe and, and have comfort. So there's a range of devices that, you know, those aren't telemedicine devices, but those are part of staying connected and not being isolated. And then we are learning a lot from some leaders in this field in California. There's a San Diego group called Oasis, which offers all kinds of online training. San Francisco has a tech council. You wouldn't be, you know, they're 10 years, 20 years ahead of us, all of this on all of us on this. So we are really looking at how we can spread those those leadership models in San Diego and San Francisco to the rest of the state so that whether you're um, running a senior center or community center or you're attending a senior center or community center, that could be a place that you learn how to not on the next day, maybe stay home and do a do a online class um, or so that you can integrate that into your uh, to your life more. So it's a long way to go. Um, we've got affordability issues. We've got infrastructure issues. Uh, you know, I just ran a wonderful community meeting on Friday and one of our terrific speakers was calling in from Reading and had terrible internet. And so uh, while I was thrilled she could participate without having to travel to Sacramento, you know, it's just was, it couldn't have been a more uh, compelling example of why, how the digital divide is, is still very present for older adults. Okay, that does tie into another thing I wanted to, well, another goal I wanted to ask you about, the uh, goal of inclusion and equity, not isolation. And I notice here that uh, part of that is offering Californians lifelong opportunities for work and volunteering, engagement, and leadership. And that's, that is protection from isolation, discrimination, abuse, neglect, and exploitation. And overall, it's to keep increasing life satisfaction as Californians age, which I like because I do feel like I see a lot of um, 
actually my grandfather was one of these once he retired um he just sat on a park bench or went to the mall and sat on a bench and it just felt like he was atrophying and he uh for whatever reason, there were no opportunities for him to to share what all this knowledge he had and all this experience he had. It uh, feels like it, that's a, happens a lot. So, in terms of lifelong opportunities, what are some examples uh, that are already happening, or, or what you want to see more of, and uh, getting Californians, you know, uh, quality of life as they age and, and and keeping their mind and body going? That's absolutely right. We we see that it happening from both directions. So, on the one hand. We want to make sure the larger community isn't unintentionally or intentionally, but being ageist and assuming that person wouldn't be able to keep up, wouldn't be able to be online. You know, all the terrible stereotypes I don't even want to repeat about older adults that they may not be able to, to participate. So we want to challenge people on that to make sure you're not making ageist assumptions, just like you don't, you don't want to make an assumption about a millennial being a certain way. You don't want to make an assumption about a middle-aged person. Don't do it about an older adult either. So let's let's we have to all check our ageism. We have to all stop our jokes about you know hating our birthday, right? Uh, every age has its blessings. Every age has its challenges. So there is a real need to name ageism as one of the isms that is no longer acceptable, and and even in our own internal, like I said. But then the other piece is, um, I love how Los Angeles County and their master plan for aging calls it purposeful aging. And how do we make sure that our lives have purpose, even after it's maybe work and raising children, which traditionally are kind of, oh, those are the two things at the center of your life. And not for everybody, not always, but often. So what does purposeful aging look like at 60, 70, 80, 90? And so we are very excited about more workplaces finding ways for people to stay working, whether it's remote, whether it's consulting, whether it's part-time, that there are other ways to work both to earn money, which again, we know people uh, need to do, but, but also for that sense of purpose and meaning and giving back. Uh, and then volunteerism, oh my gosh, coming out of this pandemic, if we can just create so many more intergenerational opportunities as soon as we get over this vaccine hurdle. Um, I'm especially excited by the National AmeriCorps issuing a challenge that 10% of, of AmeriCorps volunteers uh, be older adults, uh, because those end up being long-term placements. They're often in a, um, a school with kids, and of course they're paid a modest stipend. And so I think really uh, things we can do to get older adults into into the classrooms. And frankly, even uh, when I heard the news about USDA offering free school lunch and free uh, school breakfast, again, once we get our vaccines through, I would love for more of the senior lunch to be not senior lunch and school lunch, but community lunch. And how do we make that work so that the lunchroom is big enough or the, the timing is right? And there's a lot to work through on the ground. And I'm so excited that counties and cities are interested in trying to figure this out. But again, I think um, the interest is there, the potential is there. We just have to put the pieces together and it begins with that inclusion and acceptance uh, and then and listening to older adults what they want to do uh, and then I think we can figure it out. So a lot of moving parts a lot of partnerships involved in this and rolling it out so I think a couple of questions people probably would have and have asked you you know who's going to pay for this and also who who ensures that the strategy is followed the goals are met um, how what yeah. are your answers? Great question. So let me start with accountability because I couldn't agree more. Um, when we started this, everyone just kind of said, oh my gosh, another plan. And uh, everyone said, okay, I'll be involved, but you have to promise me it won't sit on the shelf. Uh, and so we tried to bake in three ways to make sure it won't sit on the shelf. So yes, it is a 10-year plan with very big moonshot goals, but we also gave ourselves a two-year work plan of over 100 initiatives that the entire cabinet signed off on. There's 10 cabinet secretaries, and we said, 
here's things people want us to do in the next two years. Will you do it? If so, put your name by it. <laughs> and we got over 100, I think about 130 things that our 10 cabinet secretaries said, yep, I want to work on that. That's something in the next two years. So we've got the initiatives that we're literally working as we speak. We also built a data dashboard for aging with our colleagues at the Department of Public Health uh, as a kind of a one-stop shop for all the data we have on aging. And as we're doing over time is linking data to each of these goals so we can hold ourselves accountable. So I said, I, we wanna prevent falls in California. We actually have some of the highest rate of falls, preventable falls in the country. Can we do things that bring that down over time? So the data dashboard for aging will help us in a data-driven way. And then thirdly, we're gonna bring the stakeholders back to the table. Uh, who helped us develop this, gave us over 800 recommendations for the plan. We're starting a new committee very soon, this spring, called IMPACT, implementing the Master Plan for Aging in California together, which will really be our um, self-appointed oversight board um, of about 40 stakeholders who will really look to us for our progress reports, see how we do on the two-year initiative, see what we need to change going forward, uh, and I think help really hold us accountable and be continuously improving in the best possible sense. But now the money. And now the money. And then, yes, and before we started recording, you had asked when this is going to air because we are uh, getting ready, I guess, to hear what the proposed budget will be for California. So should we be keeping an eye on what uh, the governor has to say about the budget and how that ties into this plan? Governor, legislature, and stakeholders, I would say. So when the plan was released uh, in early January, we were sure to get it out two days before the governor's budget came out and then three days before the legislature came back and started introducing bills. And so, yes, we were very pleased that the governor's budget uh, reflected the master plan in two ways. One, aging, that aging lens was layered into the big priorities around housing for the whole state, healthcare for all for the whole state. You see the aging lens much more clearly in things like how we'll provide healthcare at home, how we'll provide ADUs. So there's that aging lens throughout. And then there were also very specific aging initiatives that were funded. Everything from we need a no wrong door, one number you can call to get help with aging and disability. It's a very confusing system. We don't have the first five front door that young children have, and we're gonna build that. We also need a lot more geriatricians in our state. Uh, geriatric geriatrics is still a specialty when it actually is now becoming the norm. Uh, so how do we uh, diversify and increase geriatrics? And then a big Alzheimer's proposal, thanks to the leadership of for, former First Lady Maria Shriver, there's um, a comprehensive Alzheimer's proposal on research, public awareness, standards of uh, diagnosis, et cetera. So that came out in January. And then, as you said, we are just on the eve of kind of, well, I should say two things. Then there's been a new change in Washington. And so a lot of federal opportunities have come down. The American Rescue Plan, you're hearing about the Families Plan, you're hearing about the Jobs Plan, the care economy. So federal opportunities are coming. And uh, the president has really, again, put older adults as part of our families, part of our communities, part of our workforce. So you're, we're getting a lot of federal opportunities like that. We, My department just got $5 million to help older adults get vaccinated. So we're working to make sure we reach those older adults who haven't yet been reached and have barriers for transportation or need in-home or have some questions they wanna have answered before they feel confident. So that's been great. So then chapter three, here we are on the eve of the state budget update. The governor will be releasing um, before May 15th his May revise. Uh, and as you know, the, the, the receipts are ahead of what was predicted. There is um, more resources than we thought would be available and certainly the needs are so strong money. coming out of the pandemic. <laughs> For now, I mean, you know, so for now, so we want to make, you know, respond to the urgent needs and we want to make sure we make these one-time investments that can um, 
help us build back better. And the legislature themselves uh, have just released, the Senate and the Assembly have both released their new budgets that have aging components as well, and our stakeholder partners, everything from how do you help expand home, home delivered meals now that we're doing record numbers of that to make sure that we're doing it effectively and efficiently? How do we continue behavioral health support for older adults uh, who have some of the highest suicide rates uh, in, in the state? How can we help make sure we prevent that and stop that, especially coming out of the year we've just had? So I think you're gonna see um, a range of investments as the governor and the, and the um, legislature finalizes the budget by June 30 that continue to advance all five of these goals. So a lot of a lot of updates, announcements still rolling out, uh, probably through the year and up until 2030. It sounds like that's our hope. My last question for you is always a: What can we do as Californians? So uh, a lot of this obviously is is driven by your department, and like you said, uh, the uh, state government, local government, philanthropy, uh, private sector, uh, but the public, general public. Um, I guess as caregivers, family members, what have you, it, what do you, what can we do, I guess, to, to make sure aging in California is addressed, uh, that it's done well, done right, and uh, that we all, you know, play a, a big part uh, in making it work for everybody. Thanks for asking. I will say two things. So I have not been shy in that my goal is not just a master plan for aging for California, but I want every city and county in California to have their own master plan for aging. And so far we're at three counties, San Francisco, LA, and San Diego, and a, a several dozen cities are working with AARP to be age-friendly cities. And so I would really, so as part of this, we didn't just release a plan and our two-year initiatives and a dashboard. We also released a local playbook, which is literally a playbook for how to work with your city council, your board of supervisors, your universities that have uh, aging experts, your area aging services groups, your Meals on Wheels groups. How can you work together and say, what would it mean for Sacramento County? What would it mean for Yolo County? What would it mean for Placer County to have a plan for aging? And so that is something that I urge everybody, wherever you sit, um, to, to, to speak up for and say, we really have to get ready for this and move our communities in all kinds of ways to be age friendly. Whether you, you know, whether it's your transportation, is your transportation gonna be accessible, whether it's your housing, whether it's your parks, uh, there's something to do. But then I would say that on the more personal level, I think at this moment where we're all, I hope, reflecting on equity and inclusion and is everyone at the table who needs to be at the table to really have that aging lens and our older adults in the room our older adults being included, our older adults being listened to um, as the central architects of this. And that could be at your office, that could be at your, again, house of worship, that could be at your family dinner table, um, but how are older adults included? And once you put that aging lens on and you're aware, um, I think you're gonna see gaps. You're gonna see gaps in your services and your policy and your programs and your user testing, whatever it is you do, uh, just because our because we're behind, frankly, in California and in our country and thinking about older adults as central to the fabric. So put on that aging lens, pull up a chair, listen to older adults. We're in fact launching a, pro can I say this, Connie? We're about to launch, um, we're about to launch a uh, new partnership with the libraries, with the California State Library called California Chronicles to encourage people to sit down and listen and get the stories from their older adults of the changes they've seen the lives they've led, the lessons they give, so that we can have a more robust and more diverse archive of, of Californian elders' lessons, whether it's the internment camps, whether it's uh, Rosie the Riveter stories, we want to hear them. Um, Californians, you know, again, our first Californians are tribal elders who've been through so much. 
Uh, we want to hear those stories. So, you know, yes, there's policy, yes, there's program, but also it's personal. And how do you um, have older adults centered in your life? And if you're an older adult, how do you reach out and uh, maintain those intergenerational connections and don't get isolated? Um, it's hard, but isolation is really um, the beginning of a lot of problems, health and, and behavioral health. And so it's on all of us to stay connected. Uh, that was our mantra during the pandemic, stay connected. And frankly, it's going to continue even as we start to uh, come out of it. All right, Kim. Well, you have uh, a lot of work to do uh, and a lot of responsibilities, but it sounds very exciting and very important. So uh, I look forward to seeing how this plan rolls out. Uh, Ten years from now, I, I, I will be at a certain age. Um, so a lot of this might be uh, very much more important to me. But uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for telling us more about the plan. It sounds really exciting. And uh, yeah, appreciate you uh, coming here and talking more in detail about it. Thank you. I do think it is really this moment where people of all ages are uh, newly interested in aging. And so I'm really grateful for the chance to talk with you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. This changes everything. Episode six, which was recorded on April 30th, 2021. Thanks to Kim McCoy Wade for taking the time to talk with us. Also, thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these difficult times, please make a donation and support our efforts to produce informative and inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect in the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on our upcoming podcast episodes, events, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.